Well, if you have your Bibles, I pray you do. If you don't, you know, whenever you come in, you can grab one. I get an usher to give you one. But uh, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4 as we continue our journey. We're, we are following the life of Christ the best we can. Chronologically, you know, just uh, watching and following him through his ministry. And uh, we started off in the eternal in John chapter 1, followed him all the way till he was 12 years old. When he told Mary and Joseph, uh, didn't you know I was about my father's business? And then, of course, at his baptism, following the, the miracle at uh, the wedding in Canaan. And one of the studies that I've enjoyed probably the most so far is just that... that um, Study when we um, looked at the Samaritan woman and the dialogue that she had with with Christ, and then last week we uh, looked at his first message, and that was repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, this week we're in John chapter four, and uh, it is going to be his second miracle in that area, and. Uh, If you want to title it, it's called Faith Based Upon His Word. Faith Based Upon His Word. Picking it up in verse 43, chapter 4, verse 43. Now after two days he departed hence and he went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. And then when he was come into Galilee... The Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. Jesus came again into Canaan of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him, and he besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except you see a sign and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down, or my child will die. Jesus said unto him, Go your way, your son liveth. And the man believeth, or believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now coming down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. And then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. Well, they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that that hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. What a glorious verse that is. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of the Judea into Galilee. And would you be kind enough again to stand with me with Bible in hand and let's pray. Father, again, we just uh, we hold your word in our hands and we ask God that you would just anoint your word. Father, the word to anoint means to set apart, that you would set us apart. Whether you set us apart collectively as a church body or individually as a son or a daughter, Lord, we want to be able to go home declaring we had ears to hear what the Spirit had to say to the church. 
Lord, we're not interested in what man says. We're only interested in what you have to say to us. So again, if there's anyone here today, Father, that's just laden down with the cares of this life, maybe the holiday's just been rough. I don't know, God. I, I just pray that you would set them apart for such a time as this, God. If there's anyone here that just needs that hand upon their lives emotionally, you would touch them, Father, and bring joy into their souls, God. If there's anyone here physically that needs your touch, that you would speak your word and bring healing to their bodies. Whatever the need is, God, we ask, Lord, that you would be glorified. Again, anoint this word, we pray in Jesus' name and everyone said together. Amen, amen. Thank you. Again, he's, uh, he's in his first year of public ministry. Uh, the influence, his influence, is changing throughout the land uh, rapidly, if I may add. And for most part, it's due to his first miracle that he performed there in Canaan. Of course, we know that that miracle was when he changed the, the water into to wine. But the point that I want to make and stress is that his popularity is growing. So he makes his way down into Jerusalem. He was up at that religious city, we'll call it a religious city, because it was during the Feast of Passover. And again, just to kind of give you a mind's eye of what that might have looked like, Josephus tells us that during the Feast of Passover, there could be up to two million people crammed in that tiny little area, along with the animals. Uh, To me, it's probably like going to the zoo on a fine spring day uh, when all the school trips are planning at the same time. Just chaos, chaos. Well, anyway, when he was on that temple mount, he saw the, t- the temple area that it had become corrupted. He overthrows the, the tables. He rebukes the merchants that, that are there. And he said that my house was be- to be a house of prayer, but you have made it. They have made it a den of thieves. And um, so after the Passover, he makes his way back again up towards the north area, going towards the Galilean area. And, of course, in his journey, he meets up with that Samaritan woman. And uh, But by the time he arrives to his destination, uh, word gets back to, to the Galileans in that area of what really took place there in Jerusalem. How when Jesus came and he saw the, the, the temple mount, he became upset, overthrew the tables, rebuked the religious leaders. And, uh, and again, he receives almost like a hero's welcome when he comes up or back to the Galilean area. But Jesus knows that his popularity will be short-lived. It's not going to last very long. In fact, he does say in our passage here in verse 44 that um, a prophet doesn't have any honor in his own town or his own country. Again, his, his, his popularity is growing and uh, not only amongst the people of Judea and the Galilean area, but also we'll call it the halls of power. 
you know, the halls of those who have great influence, you know, the, the prominent and uh, important political figures of the day. This nobleman, he hears about it. And it reaches news to him about uh, what he has done in the past. And so he comes to Jesus, as we see in our, in our text there, and Jesus will perform a miracle. But it's just a straightforward miracle. There's really not a lot of dialogue in this story. There's not a lot of hoops to jump through. There's no mud in your eye, go wash it out, that sort of thing. It, it, it's almost like, and I hope I'm not jumping ahead of myself, it, it, it almost looks like Jesus really isn't in this thing. You know, you know, the dialogue is very short. It's just a few verses. And um, again, if, if, I, if I could just bore you again with the verse, in verse 46, it tells us that he comes to Canaan of Galilee. Uh, and again, um, the commentary that where he had made the water wine, there was a certain nobleman. And if you notice, his son was sick. Now, he's probably some cabinet member of King Herod's um, a political party there. Uh, he had a position of privilege, a position of power, a, priv- a position of influence. And uh, according to this passage, though, even with all that, he's in the midst of a crisis. You know, and, and, and we know it's a crisis from verse 46 and verse 49 where he says, you know, that his child was at the point of death. And this desperate plead, you've got to come, er, my old King James, pardon me, where my son's just going to die. He's not going to make it. Now, um, uh, there's, no, there's no earthly hope. So the man turns to Jesus. And no doubt, being a dad... You know, he's probably tried everything within his own power, within his own influence. He most likely hired all the doctors that he could possibly hired. Uh, But still, with all that, he is powerless. He is powerless. And I think what he is learning, that maybe his wealth was nice at a a point of time. Maybe his influence he really kind of admired. You know, look at me in my position. Maybe this is something great. But when it comes to this, he realizes that all his wealth, all his power has limitation. It's not going to help. And and I just can't, you know, being a dad, I kind of understand maybe what this guy is going through right now. You know, that, that may, maybe that's, that in his mind that he knows this is my only hope. This is, this is the only chance that I'll get. And so hearing about Jesus, he returns to where Jesus is. And roughly, if you look at your map between Canaan and, and, and the area of Capernaum, he's probably a 27-mile hike that he has to, to make before he comes to Jesus. Again, he comes in verse 47, he comes and he meets up with Jesus. And the word to be sought is a very strong word within the Greek language. You could write in there, he begs, he pleads, he's weeping. You know, he's at dire straits. There's nothing left in this man's heart. He is beyond any hope, uh, physically anyway. So he comes to Jesus. Now listen. Uh, Again, if you're a dad, you can probably understand that. Or a mom, where it's your your child. Being in the ministry, I've come across this 
many times. Or maybe you do have the imagination, if you don't have kids, what it would be, what it would mean if someone were to tell you, your, your son won't make it past the morning. You just get, get everything, get the affairs in order, get ready. And, and we've been through that as a family a, a couple times, and where we just thought there's no one else that we can go to other than Jesus. Please let me replead that. You find yourself in a position where you know there's no other place to go but to Jesus. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad position to be in. I think maybe that's, in the physical mind, now I'm off my notes for a second, we might think, no, that's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. It's to be told a loved one could die. Or there's no hope. But see, in the kingdom, because he's omniscient, he is all-knowing, he is the one saying to you, no, this is exactly where I want you. You might not even like it. You might not like it. I remember, and again, not to bore you with all my petty stories, but I got the pulpit and you don't, so I'm going to do it anyway. I remember my my mom, who we admired. We idolized my mother. It was, she was great. We just loved her with all our hearts, you know. Four foot 11. That's all she was. My dad was 6'5 or 6'6. Six, six. You should have seen that. See how that was. But I remember when my sister had called and said, you should come home. Mom's not feeling well. And I said, well, what's wrong? Well, they think she's having a nervous breakdown. And uh, so, uh, of course, uh, I grabbed my sister. I was in Bible school, came home, just up, ran up to the room. She saw me. She told me she loved me and then died right in front of me. Uh, I was quite upset. You can imagine. The whole family was so, you should, it looked like a madhouse in that house with people trying to resuscitate her, you know, and all that. But years later, knowing now, seeing all that's taken place, God, it, it was in the best interest of my mother to go home and the best interest for her family to continue growing. So we might not understand it. His ways, and I'll read that. That'll be the main hub of our passage there in Isaiah. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So you with me so far, church? But you know what? Um, he's operating under two misunderstandings about Jesus anyway. Number one, he thinks that Jesus has to physically be there. You've got to come with... It's not like, hey, if you think you could, this isn't Jairus' daughter. Hey, all you got to do is speak the word. This is a guy that's almost demanding that he would come. There's no other way this is going to work out, Jesus, unless you come with me or my kid's going to die. Well, he kind of misunderstood. And the second thing he doesn't understand is he just does not believe that Jesus has the power over death. Because the, the, the ultimate failure or the ultimate thing that could possibly happen is he's going to die. Well, to Jesus, that doesn't matter all that much. Ask Lazarus. Amen? That he has the power over life and he has the power over death. Whether he wants you to live or to die, that's within his providence. Amen, guys? But he does believe that if, it, if his boy slips into death, that it's all over. There's not even a chance for this miracle worker to even happen. 
Now, this is a kind of faith that he's bringing to Jesus. Look at verse 50 real quick. Go down a little bit where it said, Jesus said, Go your way, your sons li- uh, liveth. And the man believed what he said, and Jesus had sp- that he spoke to him, and he went his way. The only thing he went away with at that particular time was his word. He didn't see anything. He, he, apparently it was very obvious Jesus was not going to go with him. It's one sentence. You got to come, or my son will die. Ah, go your way, your son's going to live. Now, what kind of message is that? I want more drama in it. I want some sympathy. Dad, don't you worry about a thing. You know, I have this. I'm God, you know, in the flesh, you know. He doesn't do any of that. Has Jesus, again, outside of my notes, forgive me, I hope I get through this message, but has Jesus ever, ever in your lifetime spoke to you like that? Almost like, really? Why don't you just suck it up, go your way, everything's going to be okay. No, we picture that Jesus is so sympathetic and that Jesus is just going to nurture us and he's going to coddle us and he's just going to keep us moving in the right direction till finally we get home. I don't think that's growing in faith at all. And we'll pray, God, help me grow in faith. Help me grow to trust you, not leaning on my own understanding, but in all my ways I want to acknowledge you. You'll direct my path. Really? Okay, well, everything's going to be fine. Go your way. little more dialogue, please. And Jesus doesn't necessarily do that all the time. Sometimes these things come upon us and there's no warning whatsoever. So he turns. Now the interesting thing about it is this boy was healed and he was healed immediately. Your son's going to live. And the boy was healed instantly. Those that were at home saw the miracle. Dad didn't. And so they send word to the nobleman and said, hey, your son is better. Most likely it's in the middle of the journey going back during this middle of this 27 mile hike of his. It tells us in 51, as he was going, the servants met up with him and said, hey, and and I like this dad. You know, because it tells me that even in this journey, he's somewhat a little confused and somewhat not full of faith. Because he said, really? My, my boy's okay? Yeah. Well, what time, you know? And then he put all the pieces together and he went, oh my goodness, that's exactly when Jesus said, get out of my face, your son's going to be. Now that's Harry's paraphrase, you know. You know, go on your way, your son's going to be all right. You know the problem, though. Well, before I get to the problem, you know, it's, there's obvious lessons that one could um, learn from this. And it's obvious that Jesus has the power over all. He has the power to heal and to raise. He has the power to meet all our needs according to his riches and glory. He has, But he also has the power to say no. See, there's two words in the Greek that a lot of people don't understand when it comes to the word power. One is deutimus. We get the word dynamite. That's what we want to experience, right, all the time. We want the power, you know. But there's also the word exousia, which means authority. Translated power, but it means he has the authority. He has the authority to say no. has the authority to say, I want your mom home. He has the authority to say, I want your kid brother home. 
He has the authority to say, I want your older brother home. He has the power to take me home, but he just won't do it. I'm still here. He does. He, 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 he graciously heals his son. Now, but there's an elephant in the room, as it were. And it's in verse 41, or pardon me, 48. In 48, it says, Jesus said unto him, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. One translation says, unless you people believe. So it's very possible. He's just not holding a conversation with this man. He's holding a conversation with whatever crowd is around him. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. That's a big problem, isn't it? If I see this correctly, I see Jesus, that he's very displeased with an aspect of what is happening here. He graciously heals the boy, but he does not hide his displeasure about something, about an aspect of this man. He doesn't hide it. And, and, I, and I think if, it, if, if the Greek out of the, again, the Alexandrian script, and I'm not going to bore you with um, textual criticism, but if, if he is talking to this group of Jews and, and, uh, uh, and Gentiles, what he's basically saying in general, you know, I am displeased with this kind of faith. He's troubled. He's not troubled about their approaching him because the Bible says, yes, ask, yes, seek, and yes, keep not. In fact, the Bible says that to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking. That's the tense in the Greek language. He wants us to come to him. He doesn't have a problem with the man coming to him. It's how he's coming to him. It's how he's approaching him. They wanted a faith that's based on seeing. Unless you see, you won't believe. It's not a faith based upon believing or a faith based upon what you hear. In fact, Paul says the same thing. He, he alludes to there are two different things. He says in first, Second Corinthians, pardon me, 5, 7, we are to walk by what? And not by, let's do it together. We are to walk by and not by. Now, is that not a direct, easy command to see? Right. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to understand that. And yet, I don't know if it's just a ploy of the enemy or if this is trickery of our own mind, if it's our own evil nature, whatever it is. Jesus says, when we base our faith on just things that we see or the desires of what we want to experience, that's not what he's about. That's what his word teaches. And sometimes we like to walk by sight. I get that. I do. The problem is we call that faith. And that's not faith. Faith is the substance of things that we hope for. And it's the evidence of things that we what? We don't see it. You know, um, there's always that temptation to want to have a faith where there are just 
streams or miracles flowing out of our lives or miracles that we might experience. You know, that wasn't just the characteristics of, or the characteristic of this man, this man wanted to see, or these people in general, but all through scriptures, Jesus had said, this is a problem to me. In fact, I I just want to read a few of them to you, and I'll bring your uh, attention to John chapter 2, and just write them down for note's sake. But John chapter 2 is where Jesus comes to, please don't turn there, you guys are so quick, I'm going to be leaving that passage soon, Uh, unless you're a techie guy, (laughs) I know you people with those gadgets. Um, John chapter 2 is where Jesus goes to the temple mount, right, and he he starts to overthrow the table, right, and he's, he's, he's rebuking them, and if you remember the dialogue there, the Jews, the religious leaders came to Jesus, and he, they asked him, what sign do you do that gives you the right to do this? They don't even use what authority. You better be able to do a miracle. We better see a miracle. What authority? And is that not sometimes what we struggle with? We want that authority. So God, you've got to do something. No, his authority comes from his word and his word alone. In John chapter 6.30, he says to them, What signs showest then that we might believe this thing? What dost thou work? In John chapter 12.37, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they still won't believe. In John 15.24, If I had done these works among uh, uh, others, the idea is there, um, they, they would have not sinned. But now they have both seen and they both still hate me and my father, John 15, four, uh, 24. And in Matthew chapter 16, 1, he's, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came tempting him that he would do another miracle. They said, show us a sign from heaven. Jesus turns around and rebukes them in the same chapter and he says, It is a wicked and an adulterous generation that seeks after signs. We are not to be a people that seeks after signs. We're not to be a people that seek after miracles. Now, mind you, there was a glorious miracle performed by Christ. He did. He didn't even speak a healing word. He just said, go, he's all right. He wasn't, it wasn't like the blind Bartimaeus where he spoke a healing into, into him. He was not like the, the man that's by the pool of Bethsaida where he said, roll up your mat and go home. It was none of that. Jesus is a, a miracle working God. I believe that with all my heart. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But my faith isn't based upon a miracle. It's based upon his word. I just had this dialogue with someone this week where they wanted just to believe in something so desperately and they were just saying, if I could just see proof. I don't know if it's just, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer or I'm just simplistic, but I don't need to see anything. I know God loves me and I know he has my best interest for me. I know that he's told me through his word that I, if I believe, my house will believe. I mean, I have these, these promises all through the word of God. I don't need to see people being slain and people. I don't need any of that. 
The authority comes from his word. Three and a half years of Jesus just doing one miracle after another miracle. In fact, even when Jesus hung on the cross, they, were, they still asked for a miracle. He's ha- after three and a half years of just doing one miracle after another miracle, he still says, you know, they still want to say, well, if you are a king, come down and what? Save yourself. Well, then we'll believe. But if he did come down from the cross and saved himself, he wouldn't be able to save you. It was more of a miracle to stay on the cross for us. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 1, 21, 24, he says this, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the word, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews, they require a sign. The Greeks, they want wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, it was a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it was foolishness. But to them that are called, the ecclesia, you and I, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Listen, guys, it's obvious, obviously, an unending flow of miracles from God. But remember where Jesus is coming from. He's coming from Samaria. He's coming from a place where the Jews would not even put one sole of their foot on the dirt. He gets to this well, Jacob's well. He begins to talk with this woman. She's blown away. Being a man that he's talking to a woman. Being a Jew, he's talking to a Samaritan. You Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Why on earth are you asking? Well, if you knew, honey, who's talking to you. Again, Harry's paraphrase. You would have asked him for living water. You greater than Jacob, our father? This, this is just a, one, of my, one of those stories. It's an old friend of mine. I go back every now and then. I read that whole account. Go get your husband. I ain't got no husband. You're right. In the last five words, you know, that you were married to. They're de- you know, you know, the guy you're living now with isn't your. Oh, I think you're a prophet. A prophet? Yeah, well, when the Messiah comes, what does she say? He will tell us all things she doesn't even bring up oh he'll do miracles he'll do the supernatural we'll have one of these mega churches no he doesn't say any he'll tell us really how to worship not one miracle in samaria not one sign who he was and when they came to find out what was you know what this was all all about they said this if i can find my place now um they said to the woman now we believe not because of your saying for we have heard him ourselves and we know that this is indeed the christ the savior of the world not any miracles we just heard his word that's why i'm always encouraging you you want to hand out a track just buy those little Gospels of John and hand that out. Tracks are great. They're wonderful. They're quick little stories, quick little read. But if somebody's really interested in wanting to know who he is, give him the word of God. And that and that itself alone can bring somebody to the cross. And I've seen that happen more than once. Um, you 
You know, there's three problems with this kind of faith. This faith that's based upon miracles. The first problem for you note takers that it, that it's dramatically inferior to a faith that's based upon his word. So inferior. You know, the father is stuck on this thing where you've got to come. You know, you, you know, I have to see you get up and start walking with me. But you know what? That's the way the world sees it today. But that's not the way God sees it. It's totally the other way around. Believing is seeing. Not seeing is believing. You really want to see? Then you just dive into the word of God and start reading all the promises. And you watch your faith increase. You watch how settled you'll become as a born-again Christian. Your heart is settled, even in the midst of chaos, like this man. Where you might think there's no earthly hope, but man, my hope lies in him. Well, how? How can you know? Because I read it in a book called the Bible. And faith becomes alive. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. And yet, throughout all Christendom today... And I say this with tenderness and gentleness because I don't know where you come from. But there is this thing to get people out of the Bible. I heard a pastor who I know say, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. I, I, it, I, I just went, I went nuts to be quite honest with you. We don't need what? We don't need the Old Testament so what's next? We don't, we don't need any more messages about the cross. We don't need any more messages about the blood. We don't need any more messages about the resurrection. In fact, why don't we just feel good about ourselves? Paul never felt good about himself, not once. Called himself the chief of sinners. Said everything he ever did that was any good, he considered it as dung. I don't feel good about myself. I feel good about Jesus. And I feel good that when to be absent from this body one day will be in the presence of God. That's what I feel good about. That I have no hope in this world. I don't have hope in, in any political leader. My hope is in Christ. And soon and very soon he's coming for us. That's one of the problems. It's so inferior to a faith that's based upon his word, you know. You know, um... Jesus did say, go your way, your son is going to live. And, and when the man leaves the presence of Jesus, it, you know, he, he doesn't leave with a miracle. He just believes that, okay, maybe this is the way this works. He speaks his word, you know. But the miracle does follow faith. When he finally gets home, he does see his son well. You know what, guys? It isn't about miracles. I want to... Gosh, I have so much more I would want to I want to talk to you about. But this time, turn to Luke chapter sixteen. It's just a passage again. Maybe it's to some of you. It's it's an old friend, but um, there's just one verse I really want to point out of these verses. But Verse, start with verse 19. There are some who say that this is another parable. I don't believe it's a parable because he's actually using names 
but be that as it may, it really doesn't matter. There's a strong point here. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple, fine linen, and fared lavishly every day. This is a nobleman, sort of, you know. And there was a certain beggar, his name's Lazarus, which was laid at the gate, uh, at his gate, and he's full of sores. He's very sickly. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's t- uh, table, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. That's the only comfort he could get. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and he said, Father Abraham, would you have mercy on me? Send Lazarus, that he might just dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, there's a big cavern, so that they which would pass from hence can, uh, to you cannot, and neither can they pass to us, that they would come from thence. And then he said, well, then I pray thee, therefore, Father, he's talking to Abraham, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. I have five brothers. You can understand that concern, can't you? I have five brothers, that they may testify unto, unto them, lest they also come into, the, into this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they've got Moses, they've got the prophets. Well, let them hear them. Not see anything here. He said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one, just one, went unto them from the dead, if someone would just be raised from the dead, sure they would, would repent. And this is what he said. If they hear not Moses, the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. The one rose from the dead. Not one person will come to Christ, truly be saved based on a miracle. Not even if somebody rose from the dead. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? Listen. Jesus left them so many miracles that, they, that John said in John 21 that there were so many things which Jesus did and that if they had been written, every one of them, I suppose that uh, even the world itself could not contain the books that were written. The whole world couldn't contain the books. Miracles doesn't lead anyone. The second in closing and rich, if you'll make your way up here, and the second problem with a miracle that's just based, uh, I mean, you know, faith that's based on a miracle, um, it, if, it's obvious that it displeases him. It does not honor him. And the re- reason it displeases and it doesn't honor him is that it kind of puts the power in your corner. It puts you at the steering wheel and not him. There was an old song way back in the Jesus movement about sitting in the back seat. I'm, I'm riding in the back seat and leaving all the driving to the chief, referring to Jesus. It was kind of a weird song, but, but it made a great point. Jesus is driving and I'm in the back seat. And whenever we think it, the power is in our hands, that if we just had signs that we'll believe more, that's putting the power in your own hands. And that displeases him. That it does not honor him whatsoever. And another problem, problem number three, that's based, uh, faith that's based on miracles. Yeah, they, ultimately, they will fail us. It, 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 you'll have no hope. You'll have no rest. You'll have no joy. 
You'll be seeking one miracle after another miracle after another. And Romans would, doesn't even register. That all things will work out for the good to them that love him. That are called according to his purpose. That will not register. You know why? Because you're chasing down miracles. And that's another problem with this kind of faith. I love it. I believe it was Jairus. You know, Hey, you, you don't have to come. No, it wasn't. It, it was the centurion, pardon me. It was the centurion. He says, look, I'm a man under authority, Jesus. You don't have to come with me. Just speak your word. I don't need to see anything. Just speak your word and I know, you know, my servant will live. And that's where we ought to be this morning. Speaking is just saying, listen, let me, let me, let me, this third problem. Let me just lead you with this. Isaiah 55. Again. And I'll paraphrase it for you. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth. So my ways are higher than your ways. My my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The rain, the snow, they come down from heaven. They stay on the ground to water the earth. They they cause the grain to grow. Producing seed for the farmer. Bread for the hunger. And it is the same with my word. I send it out. And it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all that I want it to. It, has the, it, it will prosper wherever I send it. Now that is verses 8 through 11. But here's what verse 12 says. And you will live in joy and peace. You try to track down, chase down miracles. You will not have joy, peace, or rest in your life. Would you stand with me please? And again, I just want to give you that encouragement that maybe, maybe, maybe you are that person. It's just always looking for favor from God and a handout from God. And you have a hard time. Please listen to me, child of God. You have a hard time believing that all things work out for the good. You might be in something. You might be going through something right now. And I say this with tenderness. You need to repent of that. Or you will have a miserable life in Christ. But when, you, when your faith is based upon the, the word of God. All that God has for you. You will have a joy as the Bible talks about. A joy. Unspeakable joy. Because it's filled with his glory. You'll have a joy. That will be your strength. But take this opportunity as Richie, you know, ends us out with a song to make your way down here. If you need prayer, there's prayer team that are up here to pray with you. Don't go home struggling with this. Amen, church. Let's sing together and we'll pray.